0: Well, hey, have a seat. And um, if you will, turn to Hebrews chapter 11. Um, so we're going to discuss some theology. And in the process, I have two things that we're hoping happens today. One is that you get a deep understanding at how your salvation is completely dependent on God and not on you. And second, that we learn a little bit about biblical exegesis in the process, Um, How many of you guys know that word exegesis? Ah, the underground seminary people know. Way to go. Exegesis is this word we use for when we study scripture to draw truth out of it. It's a good thing to do, as opposed to the reverse of that, which we call eisegesis. And that's when I have an idea of something I want to believe, and I try to read it into the passage. Make sense? Exegesis good, eisegesis bad. Uh, Neither of them have anything directly to do with Jesus, our Savior, other than that we're exegeting scripture about him. Everybody's with me? Cool. So Hebrews 11. Um, uh, Another thing, so I I have to confess, I used to really not enjoy the study of church history. Uh, I used to be when people would talk to me about church history, I would think of very old, like, Catholic doctrine, tradition stuff that I'm like, well, why does that have anything good to do with me? And I have learned that there is great value in many of the theological issues that we face. The church fathers faced well before us and used very clear language to clarify it all. And so sometimes people come up and say, like, oh, my gosh, this new false teaching has come about. And I say, it's probably not new. It's probably just an old one that's been recycled. And usually we can go back, first of all, most importantly, to Scripture, But if we want to have some clear language on it, usually there is some doctrine, some creed, some theological issue that came about ahead of time that the church, the early church fathers responded to and brought clarifying language on. So as we're getting ready to jump into Hebrews 11, which is known as the faith chapter, I feel like I should address some church history related to this. First of all, the idea of salvation by faith alone is a very, very old biblical doctrine. It goes all the way back into the Old Testament. And as we're going to see in Hebrews 11, the author of Hebrews clarifies this salvation by faith and traces it all the way through the Old Testament and into the New. Many of us, though, probably have heard this word, faith alone, Or this phrase, faith alone, salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone. You guys have heard this, hopefully, because I've taught it, right? And a lot of the language that we use from that is reiterated in the Reformation. Uh, And this thing called the five solas, you guys ever heard of that? Cool, like four of you. Um, This language, um, because it was in Latin at the time, it was sola scriptura, sola fide, all this. You don't need to know the Latin. Essentially, it's these five clear clear comments about salvation, all from Scripture and all very old doctrine, that was brought up to bring clarification on the issue of salvation. It is salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, according to Scripture alone, to the glory of God alone. And this is kind of a nice, succinct way of saying like salvation is by God for his glory and it doesn't require you to do any works to get it. Everybody with me on this? Yes? We're in agreement. Cool. Um, It's not faith and a little bit of works to get you saved. It's faith alone. It's not God's grace plus some merit in your human value. No, no, no. It's totally by God's grace through your faith Simple as that. It's not Scripture plus church tradition or authority of a pastor that saves you. It's Scripture alone has, has, is our authority on this knowledge. right? It's not God's glory plus you get some credit. It's totally God's glory. Cool? Um, we might come back to this a little bit, but this is out of the Reformation. This was this clarifying language. That was used to say, like, hey, everybody, this is what we've always believed. It's from Scripture, but here's some clarifying language. So would you guys, very quickly, um, you're in Hebrews 11. Could I get somebody to plan to read verses 7 through 12 in a minute? I'm not going to need it yet. I just want you to get ready. uh, Bob's got 7 through 12. I need somebody else to take 17 through 25. Carol's got it. I need somebody else to take 27 through 31. Keith's got it. All right, that's good. And I'm going to read the other ones. So first, just to enter into this to bring some clarity so that we're not just totally in one passage, one of the things, one of the things we talked about uh, at Underground Seminary is this language of comparing Scripture with Scripture. When I'm doing very intense deductive Bible study or inductive Bible study, I'm focused on one passage. But there's value in also doing a little bit where we bring in another verse, as long as we're not hopping around. So I'm going to intro this topic... In Ephesians two eight and nine, Paul is writing to the church at Ephesus, and he says something that he has said in other ways and other letters many times. He says, "For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this not of your own doing; it is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast." Now, you guys see how some of our, um, you know, five Reformation points are coming up already: by grace alone, through faith alone. For God's glory alone, because you're not going to be able to boast about it. Paul's got like three out of the five in this little verse. Um, The big thing here that I want you to bring into context is that when we say by grace through faith, those two are not excluding one another. It is by God's grace through your faith response that you're saved. That's why we say by grace through faith. Everybody with me on that? Cool. Excellent. Here's the big thing that I'm just going to tell you scholars have debated on for a long time, this next phrase says, and this, not of your own doing, it is the, the gift of God. So the question that comes up, is that gift of God the faith or the salvation as a whole? You guys follow me? Is he talking about that his, the faith that you have received is God's gift and that's it You didn't muster it up, he just gave it to you. Or, is he referring to this whole conversation about salvation as God's gift? You guys understand? Slight shade of difference. Arguably, maybe both could be true and doesn't affect key doctrine. But the big question is, did I respond to God in faith or did he give me the faith to respond? If we're looking at other passages that say things like, God has given to everyone a measure of faith. The language there is that your faith is a gift from God. The language of Ephesians 2 earlier in, or later in here, talks about us being dead in trespasses and sins, but we were made alive in Christ. And so this big debate between how much of this is my free will decision and how much is God ultimate sovereignly even putting in me the ability to believe. And I'm going to just very gently say we should always lean towards God's sovereignty. Right? When in doubt, trust that it was God who did it, not you. Right? I also will cautiously say there's plenty of language in Scripture about human responsibility. And, and we, we can't just throw that out. So when we see in, in John where it says, whosoever will, that sure sounds like free will language. But then we have these other place, places in like in Romans where it says nobody seeks after God. Not one is good and righteous and seeks after God. I'm always going to lean towards somehow, even this faith response, God did something. And there, there are varying degrees of what people say on it. What is clear is that in no case can I say that it was my work that did it. So if, if the faith came out of me, which I'm just going to be really honest, I, I don't think it did. I think God had to put it in me. I, I think God had to make... Because I'm bent towards evil, God had to do something to be like, Dan... You're a freaking sinner. And, and I realize that and see like, oh my gosh, like he had to do something to free my will so that I would believe. I realize that there are great believing brothers that believe different things. No matter what we've got to lean towards, it absolutely is not a work. And just as we're setting this up, this is we're setting up some theological framework before we jump into this. Usually when we say by faith alone, we're saying faith and not works. There are many, many belief systems, whether they explicitly say it or not, will say that salvation is by some combination of faith and works, and the result is salvation. And um, many of you guys have heard me talk about the, the American Gospel movie. They use very clear language in there to say, if it's a math problem, and you put faith plus works at the beginning, and then equals salvation, that is false teaching. However, if we put faith equals salvation plus works, that's totally good. Because as we're going to see, faith always results in obedience. You guys with me? The faith, the obedience is not required for salvation, but it is the natural result once I am saved. Everybody with me on that? I'm setting this up because this is really important theological language that we get mixed up so much, right? And it's kind of insidious where there'll be this little bit, even where we'll make faith, if we make faith like a work, where you have preachers that will say like, well, that didn't work out for you because you didn't have enough faith and you just need to faith harder. And so then we put condemnation and we make faith into this work, right? And so then the person's like, I'm trying to have all the faith I can. And then the inevitable thing is the pastor's like, just give more money to my ministry and then that'll prove your faith and then God will bless you. Like, no, that's... That's heresy, man. That's really, really bad teaching because it is God who has put the faith in me and I am supposed to just respond and let that grow. Cool? Anytime faith becomes a work, that's the problem. So we're understanding we're always contrasting faith versus works. And if I'm putting faith and works before salvation, I'm really, I'm a heretic at that point. But if it's faith that leads to salvation, which then leads to works, That's good. All right, as we're going to see in Hebrews 11. So everybody's with me. Nobody wants to throw rocks and call me a false teacher because I would immediately come around and be like, no, 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 you're the false teacher. Um, I would say that with love, uh, maybe. (laughs) Um, So Hebrews 11, let's jump in and let me pray. Jesus, thank you that you have given us your word and thank you that no matter how the varying degrees of faith and free will work together, we still haven't worked that out completely for us, but what we do know is God, salvation is completely by you. And, and how it is that you gave me faith and, and how I responded, I, I don't know the details of that other than all I know is this is all about you. You are the one that receives the glory for every piece of this. Um, so God, receive glory. Anoint the word of God to us as we read or, or illuminate it. You've already anointed it. Lord, anoint my words as I'm speaking that they would be according to your will. Illuminate the word of God that we would understand it. Uh, You promised us the Holy Spirit would guide us in all truth. So we're asking God that your Holy Spirit would guide us in all truth today. May we respond with obedience or with faith that results in obedience, as we're going to see today. In Christ's name, amen. So Hebrews 11, I'm going to jump into verse 1. It says, now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Um, I would argue that there is some degree of definition of faith going on here. It is faith of the assurance of things hoped for. It is an assurance of what we're hoping for. By the way, the biblical concept of hope is something that is sure to happen, whereas we think of like, oh, I hope this thing happens. Biblically, the language of hope is something completely different. It's, I have hope because I know this is going to happen, right? Like this is, I, I'm, I, I'm, I'm hopeful, not in a, oh, I hope so. It's like, no, oh, I have hope because this is happening. Um, keep in mind, because that is, that is the difference when we start thinking about how faith operates if we understand the distinction that faith itself is not this blind mustering up of something, it is an assurance of something that I know is going to happen, which gives me hope. Everybody with me? Cool. It is the conviction of things not seen. Things that are so, they are not seen, but I know them to be. Right. This is very, very different than a worldly view of faith that sees faith as something that is blind, something that is wishful, something that is completely unconnected to the truth. Faith, in a biblical context, is directly related to truth. You guys with me? Cool. Well, I promise I won't take long on every verse. Uh, It says, for by it, that is by faith, the people of old received their commendation, By faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. Um, Can you guys already see what's going on here? He's starting at creation and he is saying it's been by faith since creation. We read on, verse 4, it says, By faith Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous. God commended him by accepting his gifts. And through his faith... Though he died, he still speaks. Anybody tracing? First of all, what key figure did we skip over in the Old Testament record? Yeah, so they're conspicuously missing from this narrative. We go from creation to Abel. What did Abel do different than Cain? What did he do? Anybody remember? He offered a blood sacrifice which is what God had required, what he had modeled when he sacrificed the animal to make clothing for Adam and Eve. What we're already seeing here is that there is God's way of faith and there is man's way, usually of works. What did Cain do? He says, I got all this great fruit and I'm going to put it up here and I'm going to try to earn your favor. And God says, no, no, no. I don't want you to try to please me with this other thing. I want you to respond in faithful obedience. And so... Everybody following me? Now well, let's watch this theme carry through. This is, By faith Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death, and he was not found because God had taken him. Now before he was taken, he was commended as, as, as having pleased God. Verse 6 says, And without faith it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. Um, are we seeing this very clear pattern? You cannot please God by any means other than faith. You can't say I'm a reasonably good person or I'm, I have strength and merit of my own existence. It is only by faithful response that I say, God, this is what you said. So, okay, I'm in. Uh, would somebody jump in and read that verse 7 through 12 passage? So can you already see this list building up here? It's going to get bigger. Um, of faith responses throughout the Old Testament. Now, before we go any further, how many of you, like me, you don't have to raise your hand if you're embarrassed about it, but we're taught that salvation in the Old Testament was by works? Yeah. I was actually taught that. Grew up in a good Bible believing church, and I was taught that salvation in the Old Testament was by works. That you obeyed the law, that was works, and that's how you were saved. But then no one would have been saved. Exactly. Um, and it wasn't until I'm, I'm in, I'm, I might have been in college, you guys. I'm going to be uh, where I'm reading Romans and Paul's saying like, hey, this says that like the law was like a, a schoolmaster just and I'm supposed to see how I can't fully obey and that like I need God's grace. And then, man, once I started reading Hebrews 11, totally blew everything up because he actually cites, he says, Abraham believed God and was accounted to him as righteousness. That's in Genesis, you guys. Like that's the first book talks about salvation by by grace, well, specifically by faith, but it's a grace response. This is is kind of huge, that this is not a new thing. And hopefully you're seeing the writer of Hebrews is bringing up this thing. It has always, always, always been by faith. Reading on, I'm going to jump into verse 13. It says, These all died in faith That is a heavenly one. Therefore God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. Yes, what, understand what he is saying here? Is that like, hey, Abraham had a promise. Enoch had a promise. And it couldn't have been merely for them to have blessing on this earth alone. They were looking to a heavenly homeland. Because like they weren't even seeing all this play out completely. For crying out loud, the promised Messiah wasn't there yet. But they had faith and hope, and he's making it very clear. Guys, they're in eternity right now. Like, their hope was something the same as what we're hoping for. It wasn't just like, yay, we're going we're gonna, to you know, get to go to the promised land, and then it's going to be a party. Like, there were material things in this world that God was promising, but he was very much more promising an eternal reality. Everybody's with me? So who's got this uh, 17 through 25 passage? Carol, go for it. Can you guys see what the author is doing here? He's just kind of dumping examples on top of us. Um, have you ever seen this this tactic in when you're when you're having a logical discussion and somebody is not seeing the obvious where you just cite evidence after evidence after evidence after evidence and you're just like this instance and this instance and this instance and you're just avalanching them with evidence. This is what the Hebrew the writer of Hebrews is doing here where he's just like so you think it's by works even a little bit. And he's just dumping it out and saying, like, no, this guy and this guy. Can you guys also notice what else is happening here? He's tracing the lineage to the Messiah, right? There's a faith heritage that, like, is being passed down through the line. And and you ever notice, like, too, uh, not everybody feels comfortable with this, but, like, you had Cain and Abel. Abel did it God's way. Cain did it man's way. And he's like, all right, Lineage is coming through through Abel. We trace it all the way through here where we're dealing with like Jacob and Esau. Jacob was a shyster who had a faith response to God, right? Abraham, like how many times Abraham's faith is commended here? He, he, he obeys God to come up out of the land where he was from. He obeys God in, the, in, the, in Isaac coming, even though he made a, mis, a mistake in that, by the way. And then he responds in faith. And then like when it's time to offer up Isaac, he's willing to do that in faith. But Abraham was a bad dude other than that. Twice he tries to prostitute out his wife to save his own skin. Right? This is not a guy who's just a great guy. He's a bad guy who responds in faith, and that's how he's saved. You guys following this around? This is really important because even in this, the writer of Hebrews is highlighting that like, hey man, even with Abraham, it was by faith, because we all know Abraham wasn't the greatest dude. In fact, if we continue to follow this out and we start looking at the lives, lot of lives, the lives of these various patriarchs, man, everybody was messed up. There's only one biblical character that the Bible does not show any mistakes on that I know of, and it's Jesus. It seems like all of the other heroes of the faith, the Bible is very, makes great effort to say like, and here's how he sucked, right? Like great effort goes to show all the mistakes Abraham makes, and yet he responds with faith. So hopefully this is already stirring in you. What does this say about you, Right? If I'm feeling condemnation because I know I'm cruddy, can I have some hope and understanding that like so is Abraham? Sometimes I look at Abraham and I'm like, ah, maybe I'm better, better than Abraham on this, right? I shouldn't do that, that's pride. <laughs> but like we start seeing some of the things Abraham did, you're like, man! Huh, or David? We're gonna read on. I don't like, Can you understand though that like the writer is trying to make a point here that's by faith alone. Anyway, reading on. So in Hebrews eleven twenty-six, he that is Moses considered the reproach of Christ greater than the wealth, uh, greater wealth than the treasure of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. Just a little note: what reward do you think he is referring to? Because if he is turning away earthly pleasure for a reward. What reward has that? Ha- does that have to be? It has to be an eternal reward, not a temporal one. Like you couldn't get much better than Egypt for wealth. You had a hand up. Yeah, I think it's we're, we're addressing more of the issue of like he is having, he is responding in faith to God, trusting God for the lineage that is to play out. Um, I mean, he was obviously being used in that moment, right? Um, Even worse, like, I think part of what we're seeing there is that Jacob is lying in that process, and yet God is using even that to accomplish his will. So, yeah, um, he doesn't, I don't think he knows exactly what he's doing. Abraham, specifically. I don't think he knows exactly what he's doing all along, and yet because he is in a a faith response to God, God's making sure that all things work together for God's glory and his good. Is that, yeah? Yeah. Kind of Confuses me a little bit. Of like, what does it mean to respond in faith if like you don't always know that, that it is Yeah. So I think that's a good question. Uh, Jill has I a, saying, you know, yeah, and I, and I would say it does go to the next level when it's like for crying out loud, he's getting cheated in that moment. But if we're following in the New Testament, where it talks about walking in the Spirit and. He's, he's, God's going to direct your steps when you commit your way to them. We see that in the Old Testament as well. I think that's what we're seeing there: is God's directing the steps of a man who is having a faith response, despite that, and he's he's being he's being cheated, he's being lied to, and he's responding to that lie and the best way he knows how, which is really wild. Like that, even on a much deeper level, that God is controlling even as he's being deceived, because he is responding in faith. Um, that. Deserves much more theological discussion. That is a great, a great question, and I think puts puts light on the fact that it is God's sovereignty that is operating in this. Who had that last section of verse 27 through 31? Uh, that was you, brother. Can you go for it? Um, this is worth just a little side note. Like this is not directly theologically important to this conversation, but worth noting. Rahab, the harlot, has a faith response. Knowing very, very little about what's going on, she says she responds in faith. Also worth noting, she was not uh, ethnically Jewish, and yet responds in faith, and as we see later, is part of the lineage of our Savior, right? That should say something, that Rahab is grafted in to God's kingdom by faith and her faith response. A little side note too. the whole other conversation we had about the fact that she lied in that. That's a whole other fun theological debate we'll get into later. What we do know is that she had a faith response. Really cool? All right. So um, can you guys just notice, this is a really long list, and if you want to take some time to follow how it traces through all the way up. This takes us all the way up through the prophets. And then verse 32, it says, And what more shall I say? Two things, he's reminding, he's like, I'm just running out of time. I can't even show, I can't even reiterate all of the faith responses. But note that he ends this by saying, refusing to accept release, some were tortured so that they might rise again to a better life. Even reminding that like, hey, this whole eternal reward thing, it's been a part of the game from the very, very beginning. Cool. Um, verse 36, Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn into, They were killed with the sword. They went about in the skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy. And I just feel like it's worth noting that in, um, in popular television Christianity, Faith is almost always associated with the accumulation of wealth and health. And here, a faith response is associated with going about in the, sheep, in the skin of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated. The antithetical life to health and wealth. Just worth noting, and he says, though, of whom the world was not worthy. Wandering about in the deserts and mountains And the dens of caves of the earth Verse 39 And these though commended through their faith Did not receive what was promised Since God had provided Something better for us That apart from us they should not be made perfect What is he talking about here? Guess Any guess? They didn't like receive, like, here now. Yeah They didn't get Jesus yet They all were hoping for this Messiah and responding in faith, receiving salvation, but Jesus hadn't come yet. And so part of what he's saying here is like, guys, we got to be here for Jesus, right? Everything else was this promise of what is to come, everything else was all exciting and really cool, but we got to be here for Jesus. This is huge. Like the promise is being fulfilled, has been fulfilled in Christ, and is playing out even now. So verse 12 through 1, he says, Therefore, or chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, a little side note, debate, this word for witness, this could be those who have been martyred before us, as he's just been talking about, those who have been witness to the faith that God has set aside for us, or it could mean that somehow from heaven they're able to see what's happening. There's a little bit of debate here we don't know that they're actually looking on us seeing us. Could mean that, could not. It could be that it's just using the term for witness. Since we're surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, there's so many faith people who have gone ahead of us. Let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before Him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. You guys see, all of this then is culminating in Christ, who is fully God, fully man, atoning for everything we have done, and at the same time providing this wonderful example of faith, that even Jesus here, He's like, He's put aside all this and, and endured the shame of the cross, and is now seated at the right hand of God. You're talking about specifically on Abraham did the whole thing with the handmaid, right? So he had an unfaithful response and then a faithful response, right? I follow you. Um, so why isn't that the case for like Cain and Abel, right? Did Cain later have a faith response? And and I think the thing is, it's, it's that... Cain did not come back with a faith response that we know of. Um, And I think I would argue that there's some bit of redemption there that like here, Abraham responds in faith, struggles, responds in faith. And a little side note, even in his sinful way, he's still believing that God's going to accomplish his promise, right? Even the whole thing with sarah 's handmaid, it was a messed up way to try to bring about god 's will that he believed God was going to accomplish so worth noting that like that he sinned like that was wrong, but i 'm not sure that it was the exact opposite of a faith response, right yeah, still messing up, but was not a prodful rebellion. There's, a, there's probably much more thought that I could give to this another time. I'm sorry. I don't want to make too many strong statements like speaking from the pulpit other than to be very clear that either the diagram or the, the diametrical opposition that, that scripture plays out is it's either a prideful response or a humble faith response. And so that seems to be the key thing. Either I'm like Cain and I'm saying, my way, oh, it didn't work out, now I'm pissed, and I'm going to do this. So that's prod response. Abraham responds in faith, does a whole bunch of messed up stuff, and yet is continuing in, in faith, trusting that, that he who promised is faithful. Like, like, that's the language there, is that he's trusting that God is faithful, so his trust is completely on the character of God and who he is, and I feel like it's worth noting in all of this that the faith response came first before the obedience, right? That just worth playing out. The issue then is, am I responding in pride and trying to say this, I'm going to do it my way, or am I responding in faith saying, God, whatever you say, okay, right? Because this is this kind of final issue here is he's saying like, hey, then put a, put aside all these encumbrances, right? like just as as Abraham not Abraham as Moses did not hang on to the wealth of Egypt and instead put it aside because there was a greater reward in obedience like in the same way put aside all of the encumbrances and sins and run with endurance the race that is set before us this language of scripture is always that he who endures to the end as if that, that is the proving of faith that, like, just as Abraham, faith yeah mess ups, but continued in faith. So, a really quick note. Um, I've I've liked that this has gone into discussion more today, which is kind of what was my hope. Um, a really quick note, just because we don't have time to cover this in detail. I always want to point out that if I have faith, it will result in fruit. Right. That while the faith is the 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 thing that comes before salvation, I don't need works to get the salvation. But man, if I'm saved, I'm going to be conformed into the image of Christ. So this is not a license to be like, cool, God's good, so I'm going to do whatever. That would actually be the opposite of a faith response, right? Is if I have faith in who God is, I, it says that I'm, I'm, he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. A, am I diligently seeking God? Cool. Um, everybody with me? We're good? Salvation by grace alone through faith alone, and it's always been that way. Cool? Um, I, don't, I don't want you leaving here thinking, here's some new thing I have to do. My goal in you leaving here is that you rest in the fact that salvation is totally God's work and your response is a faith response. Cool? All right, let's pray. God, thank you for the chance to get together. Um, Lord, bless us as we continue to fellowship. Thank you that you have saved us by faith alone. Help us to have a deeper and deeper understanding of what that is, that we would just rest in you and then respond in obedience. Um, God, receive glory. Uh, may this ruminate in our hearts and may we just rest in you. Like that's, may we just rest in who you are. Um, receive glory. Bless us in this time. In Christ's name, amen.